0: Hi, and welcome to the In Mahabba Center podcast. My name is Lydia Youssef, and today we'll be continuing our discussion on generational trauma, generational healing through discussing holistic care. So, holistic care is really a big topic that's often thrown around, and I think because I'm kind of in the nonprofit sector, it's a really big topic as well, and really. Sometimes it misses the point. Um, and it's not just in the nonprofit se- sector. I think oftentimes when we volunteer and serve in our daily lives, which I'm going to get into in the later half of this, it's also kind of an approach that comes up, but is often not well defined um, and not well strategized. So, what is holistic care? So, my kind of definition of it is that it's a method of communal and individual support. It is not (laughs) assistance. It is not charity. So holistic care in particular has, it's, it's a framework. I should have said a framework and a method. It's a framework of seeing individuals helping their own community and their neighbors without a sense of That they are offering this service, this volunteer work um, independently. In other words, someone who is providing holistic care knows that they too need care. That it's not a top-down method that we often see with charities, right? So the rich donate for the poor, for cancer research, Um, They donate for those who don't have it without examining why they don't have that money. Um, So that's very important that holistic care should never have a top down um, approach, that it's more of a circle. It's not a pyramid or triangle. It's circular, like a lake, trying to use natural. Anyways, it's like it's a circle and that we understand that when we offer care that we also receive care from our communities and from the individuals in our communities. So it's not assistance and it's not charity. Um and this is kind of a model that some nonprofits have been, you know, glamorizing, right? We practice holistic care here. Um but then miss the mark entirely. And it's support for the individual um kind of the final part of this definition of all aspects of being so it's not just the physical right it's not just the emotional mental it's also the social and financial things that are tangible um and things that are intangible for instance it's not just pumping into a ghetto food and resources right and this is you can see that this is like the number one thing for nonprofits. is they're like you know what let me provide them with rent assistance, or let me give them some food, or let me um, teach them English, Um, but at the end of the day, that does very little, right, Uh, because you're not examining where their poverty is coming from, Um, why this working-class community, because it's often (laughs) working-class communities in the ghetto, who are working... 100 hours a week why they are not seeing the fruits of their labor and why if one ascends into the middle class someone else will come in his place right um, there's always another supply of labor and you will continually especially in the U.S. just be offering food assistance forever <laughs> instead of examining why haven't we given or oh, we actually don't give that's completely wrong why aren't the earth's riches reaching the ghetto? That sounded very biblical, but you get what I mean. Um, we don't really examine the roots of, you know, just pumping in, pumping in, pumping in food and supplies. But we don't see that, you know, in a generation these folks may move on and then another generation there will be another labor supply, another human extraction. Um, so it's really important that when we discuss holistic care, um, I'm not bashing, you know, food banks, I'm not bashing, you know, literacy, nonprofits. What I am saying, though, is how effective are those nonprofits when you see them for generations simply do the same things? When looking at the situation, there's probably an easier way instead of pumping food um, into uh, to ghettos into poor communities, into isolated communities, there's a significantly better way to do that. <laughs> um several other examples, right? Um again, there's so many in the nonprofit sector. Um youth development nonprofits who only help young people and they don't see young people as a product of their homes and their families. Um And they simply want to help kids because especially if they're kids of immigrants, the kids at least speak English, you know, Um, so they don't have to deal with Spanish or Arabic or Somali. They can just deal with the kid (laughs) who culturally and linguistically can understand you. Um, But of course, you don't care what happens when the kid goes home. You don't care about the dual personality and feeling of being an immigrant's child. um, You don't want to address any of those emotional aspects. You just want to be like, hey, let me help you with ACT or let me help you with your English or hey, let's do a homework club. And again, I do really want to stress that none of these things like helping someone with basic needs is not a (laughs) that's not the issue. It's stopping at that. You see what I mean? So if you see somebody who needs food, I am not telling you to sit there and be like, mm, you need something more than food. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you should start there, but that that's not your stopping point and that you shouldn't imagine that a starting point is the finish line or that it is the most effective measure that you can offer somebody um, Actually, a very good group to analyze about this is the Black Panthers. Um, so they had a breakfast program um, for their children in their communities. And it again, fulfilling a basic need. Um, but they did not stop there. They fulfilled theoretical and practical needs as well. Right. So analyzing why black people in Oakland were in ghettos. Um, why they were isolated, and addressing that, right? So equipping black people with guns and making sure the children um, are safe for the next generation. Of course, you know, we all know what that happened. (laughs) That was such a threat to the U.S. government that it had to be put down. How dare you protect black children? Anyways, um, coming back to holistic care and nonprofits. There was also, I think I've mentioned this, but my favorite... (laughs) nonprofit leader in nashville um was telling me he works at a very big immigrant centered i don't want to say that but that's i don't think immigrants are at the center of that but whatever immigrant centered nonprofit and he was discussing with me um how this nonprofit which is a 501c3 started a 501c4 which is um, a nonprofit with political ambitions um, and can fund campaigns because they want to fund pro-immigrant candidates, whether Republican or Democrat. And let me tell you, I had no idea what that meant. And you could tell that this nonprofit was run by white people because I have no idea what it means for a candidate to be pro-immigrant. Um, and again, it shows you the lack of holistic care that they see immigrants as only caring about immigration, right? And immigration policy. When immigrants here need health care, they need better schools, they need better roads, they need access, they need the accessibility to transportation to get to work. And his concern is immigrants care about immigration and they care about, you know, races being in office, um, which is funny coming. Yeah, from the U.S. (laughs) So again, when we see these nonprofits that care about only one thing and they stop there, um, you see already that there are a lot of identity issues that can come up from that, right? So these youth development programs that see young people, young immigrants or young um, black children as merely they just need to understand English. They just need help in math. When there's also a social and emotional aspect, right? Um, how can a child study if their parents are not at home and they have to take care of their siblings? How can a child study if their parents need money and that child has to go to work? Do you see what I'm saying? So focusing on they just need to study really doesn't work. You also have to focus on why their parents um, why are the wages of their parents being stolen by their employer? Why is there not enough resources to go around for these families instead of saying they just need to study? Or saying that immigrants just need to focus on immigration policy? You see how that segregates them from so many other alliances concerning health care, concerning transportation, residential areas, zoning policy, so many things that you have isolated them from their neighbors by offering charity from top down and this is why i really really hate charity (laughs) i really do because you are coming from the position that one you will never need help which is false all of us do need help um i don't know anyone personally um whether upper middle or lower class who has for their whole lives been financially stable right their whole lives (laughs) I don't know anyone I'm sure there's maybe one or two people in the United States more than that maybe who for their whole lives have never had a financial disaster or have never um, felt emotional need to be to belong uh, to be accepted or have never been in a social condition where they feel like they're ostracized or feel like um, they don't fit in I again I highly doubt that Um, but for the most part we all need care to assume that there are a few of us who need to and keyword here need to help other people is presumptuous is really presumptuous and when we ignore that um when we ignore that we really are also ignoring how charity in and of itself is problematic because it reinforces who is causing the harm Right. So rich people who don't pay their taxes um, that support the middle and lower classes and support their resources for the middle and lower classes can then hide extreme issues. Right. Um, and ex- and hide the harm that they have caused middle and lower classes by saying, oh, we donate to charity. Right. And then they send the middle and lower classes to war in Iraq. <laughs> So it's really important for us that we really take ourselves out of this charity mentality that there are some of us who need to help. And I also hate that. Like, I I don't like it when people are like, you know, you have privilege, so you need to help people. No, no, no. You don't need to help people because you have money. You don't need to help people because you have networks and privilege. You help people because you were helped at one point. So you help people because we help people as humans. Not because we have the resources, not because we have the networks, but because we are humans. And the definition of our society is that we help one another. Anyways, it just really annoys me when people are annoying. (laughs) So what does this have to do with generational trauma? Why two weeks ago was I speaking about generational trauma and then we're talking about holistic care? I think both of these conversations... Mirror each other. Um, In understanding generational trauma, we also understand holistic care. How? Because both understandings and frameworks challenge how you see something in front of you, right? So both generational trauma and holistic care, if you understand them, you can look at a situation like I'm going to go back to the ghetto (laughs) Um, poverty, for instance, and not just take it at take it at face value. Right. So someone is poor. I need to give them money. That's not a solution. Right. Because someone is taking away their money. So if you're pumping in money, you're not addressing who's taking away their money, who's taking away their resources, who's taking away from their labor. You see what I mean? So. When we discuss generational trauma, um, which is something strongly attached to our genes and DNA, we're discussing something that cannot be seen. Same thing with holistic care, is when we offer care to folks. Again, we can start with the material. We can start with the tangible, something that I can do. Give a child a book to read at home. Give someone food. Give someone cleaning supplies. A mask during a pandemic. That's great. Um, But let me just say this is a very (laughs) bare necessity and you haven't closed the wound, right? You haven't realized who is funneling the supplies from someone else. Because again, God has given us an earth that is well equipped for us. So when we see someone deprived of something, whether that be happiness and belonging or that be poverty, um, whether it's material or not material things that we are at at a loss for, we need to question that and we need to see the intangible parts of that. So both these theories help us see things that are not in front of us, right? The invisible aspects of trauma. The invisible aspects of our coping mechanisms, whether that be bad habits, drugs, bad relationships, etc. To see that beyond the surface level and see how that impacts us at a genetic level and how that impacts us on an emotional, social, financial level. So first, it lets us re-examine reality Um, in seeing more dimensions than one to what is before us. And then the second most important thing is that both generational trauma and holistic care challenge what is natural, right? So oftentimes, we treat poverty as though it is natural, right? That it's, we naturally find it in the earth, right? Humans that can't find food, or sorry, they can't find, that's not the right phrase, but they cannot afford food, or it's natural for humans not to have a shelter, that they're homeless on the street. We challenge these perceptions when we practice holistic care and we understand generational trauma. So we don't see the ghetto as Why can't black people pick themselves up? Or why can't these working class Latinx, China, Chinese, I said China, Chinese people in Chinatown pick themselves up and do something with themselves? We don't see it as modern. We see it as deeply rooted. We see it as deeply constructed as well. So we see our reality in multiple dimensions, which is really important. Um, Oftentimes when I speak to people who take things at face view right so they say uh this kid for instance doesn't speak english because they're an immigrant so i need to teach them english so they can communicate in school to me this shows your privilege because you're not challenging the system that forces children to speak one language in order to learn right Um, In order to learn universal concepts like math, which you can definitely learn math in Arabic or Spanish. You don't need English for that. (laughs) So when you say things like that, like the issue with this child is that they need to learn English or that they need food or that they need finances, money. Um, You're not analyzing what's being taken away from them. You're not analyzing how important it is for that child to communicate with their parents. Or that their parents spend time actually helping the kid with their homework, or that the mother tongue is very important period, <laughs> um, or that English is really not a superior language, so in taking things at surface value, we lose a lot just just right off the bat in how we can help somebody, right when we see someone in need, um, whether it be they have bad grades. Um, they're homeless, they need money, they're in a bad financial situation. When we just take it at a surface value, we're not addressing, again, holistically, multidimensionally, coin that in the dictionary, what's happening around us. It's a very shallow, very easy way of feeling good about ourselves when we've done actually very little, (laughs) very little, right? So the minimum you can do, is offer someone money when they, you know, don't have money. The minimum you can do is offer food when someone doesn't have food. Um, The minimum (laughs) as a human being. And of course, I think all humans are called for a much larger purpose of assisting people, not just in a very basic way, of course, (laughs) of really challenging what is being taken away from us so that we have to live like this. A really good example, actually, of holistic care comes from Matthew chapter 9. And let me go ahead and read it because it's a very interesting one. Um, And again, like all (laughs) of these episodes, I always find that sermons really don't do it for me about this passage. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and he came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemies." (laughs) I did not pronounce that right. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, (laughs) Why do you think evil in your hearts, for which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say arise and walk, but that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now, when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. In this story of the paralytic man, it's a very short kind of passage, but it clearly illustrates this dichotomy of holistic care and charity. In the passage, you have Christ telling this man a very deep message. Your sins are forgiven you. Something that touched his soul. Something that no one else, it's a very private, personal, intimate moment that no one else knew. that no one else felt, that no one else could grasp. So he felt him at the very core of himself. And he said, son, be of good cheer. Which is a really comforting moment Um, to say your sins are forgiven you without asking what the sins are, without asking for an explanation, without questions, without any judgment, he just sees him in pain and he gives him comfort. Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Those deep parts, those deep wounds that you have are forgiven. And of course, the Pharisees have an issue with this um, on the basis that Right You cannot offer this holistic care, right? You cannot offer this deep-seated, all-knowing power to relieve him of what aches him. And so Christ says, "Which is easier." I could have said, "Arise and walk." I could have told him, "Do the physical part." right? I could have told him something that maybe seems impossible to him as a paralytic man, right? You will get that A on that English exam. You will be fed and you will be, you know, you'll have a house. You'll be well taken care of. You won't have financial disasters. Um, Financial disaster is really a key word for this episode. Um, you will be okay. Arise and do what you think you are not capable of. And that's how nonprofits approach things, right? <laughs> Is let me show you the impossible side of you, right? You can do what you want to do. You can elect uh, brown and black people into office who are pro immigrant. You can um, get that A on that. Just keep going on and on with these like results and great feats. <laughs> Um, Instead of looking at the deep core, right? This is a very individual moment between Christ and the paralytic man. And he answers him based on that deep and intimate moment. He says to him, son, (laughs) it's the first time they've met, I guess in the flesh, but first time they've seen each other. And he says, son, be of good cheer. The passage clearly illustrates to us The importance of intimacy when we care for people, the importance of not wanting results, right? (laughs) Not wanting to be like, okay, all right, you can get up now. (laughs) You came to be not paralytic and you're not paralytic anymore. That's not the goal. And that shouldn't be your goal. Your goal should not be. Tangible results, right? This person yesterday didn't have food and now they do have food. It's a lot deeper than that. Is that person okay? Asking them, Are you okay? Do you want to talk about it? (laughs) Can we sit down and get to know each other? I want to hear your stories. I want to know your history. Those are really direct questions, but you get what I mean. (laughs) You get what I mean. Having a very intimate relationship with the folks that you serve with the folks that you volunteer with, um, and seeing it not, again, not as a top-down service of um, I'm offering you charity, but instead of seeing it as a care, right, in like one sentence, he relieved the person. And of course, um, no good deed goes unpunished, (laughs) as they say. So what's really important about holistic care is that is that it becomes a solution to our failures oftentimes when we serve hoping for immediate results tangible immediate results so how can we on a daily basis practice holistic care um especially if we're not like working in a nonprofit or You know, we don't serve every, you know, whatever. You're not a major volunteer somewhere. Um, How can I practice holistic care? Because this is not just about people who serve on a daily basis or on a weekend basis. This is really something that I hope everyone carries and follows through with. So the first thing I will say, how do we not practice holistic care? um through social media <laughs> um you know i recently there was a group of people on my facebook posting you know it's been 8 months of this pandemic if you need help contact me i'll help you and it really infuriated me <laughs> um because it's a very shallow message. Again, this idea that people just need food, that they just need mass. When we know for eight months, a lot of us have been extremely, um, you know, I'll just go ahead and say it, miserable, right? We haven't been allowed to be social. We haven't been really allowed to grow <laughs> or be as productive as we wanted to be. Um, Or take on new challenges or rest effectively from all the bad news that have been happening, that has been happening. So, you know, so it's a very shallow way of looking at what's been happening during the pandemic. Um, And of course, all the people who have lost folks to the pandemic and being like, I'll get you food. So it's just a very good example of how an individual—it's not just organizations or like billionaires—who can also be problematic, um, and and just assume that they can be very performative in how they serve and performative in how they volunteer, um, that they they volunteer and serve for this face value. <laughs> Um, and it's a very face value type of service because clearly no one is going to reach out to you and ask you for assistance, especially in the Egyptian community. No one is going to do that for you. know, No one. Um, so it's significantly better for you just to find a food bank and go volunteer there. But instead, <laughs> um, or especially if you know Arabic, to do interpretation of volunteer work. Um but instead you 're choosing this performative, very shallow way of engaging with people, and it shows a strong disconnect with what is actually happening and Again, it shows a privilege um, you you know oftentimes privilege is so palpable by the way someone speaks, by the way someone views a problem in particular, like if you bring up poverty, homelessness. Um, education, um, how much we spend on education, policing, police brutality, uh, you know, the way they speak about it and engage with it shows their privilege, um, and how, and the number one thing that shows your privilege is how shallow you see things, right? The more you see things at surface value, the more (laughs) privilege, in essence, you have, because you're not able to see the deeper traumas that are happening uh, beyond someone needs food or someone needs shelter. Um, anyways, it's just very frustrating. Um, and it also speaks to how privilege is very performative, too. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah, people like in as we say. So what are things that we can do as individuals that are not Facebook statuses that mean absolutely nothing? Um, One, offer inclusion. I think that this is really the most powerful thing people can do on a daily basis. When you're in a meeting, see who's being excluded. When you're in a party or a gathering, a social event, see who's being excluded. In many ways, All of these problems that we have in our society, whether they be racism, sexism, poverty, uh, policing, all of these issues come down to exclusion. Who is being excluded from the resources? Who is being excluded from belonging? So when we practice inclusion on a daily basis, for instance, if you're in a meeting and you see someone's being particularly quiet, you interrupt the meeting and say, hey, I'd, I'd love to hear what my coworker would like to say. If you're in a social environment, make sure the person who's standing by themselves or maybe feels uncomfortable in the social environment is being taken care of. This is the most effective way for us to practice care. Because even though it doesn't address directly the larger issues that we have in our society, it... Begins the conversation (laughs) about how we can offer solidarity, which is the opposite of exclusion. (laughs) Um, And it's really a practical measure, asking people, are you okay, right, when you haven't seen them for a long time, or you know people aren't checking up on them. Just send them a quick text, or if you're in a group setting, making sure that everyone is participating, or that that they want to participate too, um, and in often ways this is indirectly addressing the issue, because when you notice if you're in a meeting, the people who are less likely to speak are women, because of sexist socialization, <laughs> um, and the people who are more likely to speak are men. So when you ask, "Hey, can I hear?" what Miriam has to say in the room, you're doing something a lot more than just asking Miriam her opinion. <laughs> um, you're doing a re-socialization and you're re you're refocusing on what care is, right? And especially in analyzing your position. Again, like I said, care is not charity. <laughs> so if you see yourself as doing Miriam a favor by being like, hey, I'd love to hear what she has to say. You're really not. Um, If you view yourself in doing anything and offering anything as being of service, then you're missing the whole point. Um, And really, the best servants that you will find, whether in a church setting or outside of a church setting, they're the servants who see their service as caring for one another right? Um, so they care for themselves through their service. And they see actually the people that they serve as caring for them as much as they're caring for the people they're serving, if you get what I mean. So for instance, there are some servants who love to do like community breakfast um, because they love to be social with people and they love to meet new people. That for them is care for themselves. And then it's also caring for people who may need food, a social environment, um, to learn about new resources, etc. So you see, when we view care as a circle, right, um, and I really urge you, if you're ever serving or volunteering, ask and genuinely, what am I receiving from this? I don't mean it in like the Jeff Bezos um, profit margins, right? Right. I'm not asking you to become a billionaire in how you view, you know, donating to a foundation or offering your time at a food bank. But instead, say, like, what am I receiving from, you know, volunteering at a food bank or tutoring, volunteering to tutor? What am I gaining from that? Um, and what am I offering at the same time? Because that's what care is. And I really urge us away from this position that I am helping someone. I'm assisting someone. Um, At best, you're supporting, right? Someone who's kind of uh, fallen um, in some kind of way and you're supporting them up and having the mentality that you too may be in that position one day and that you too will need someone to support you, Um, whether it's that position or a different position entirely, but that we all need care. And that when we care for one another, we are also caring for ourselves. So offering or engaging with that concept of I am not offering charity, um, but I'm receiving something greater than the people um, are receiving from me um, is really important. uh, To see yourself also as a circle instead of as a pyramid. (laughs) Um, Instead of saying, you know, poor people need me. People who don't speak English need me. Say, I need them too. Because we are a community. And offering inclusion really is the best practice. Who is speaking? Who is not speaking? Who really wants to speak? Who really doesn't want to speak too? The second thing, um, besides a practical measure, is a mental kind of renewal of seeing ourselves as really not that important is also continually analyzing reality (laughs) Um, asking questions about what it means for instance to be a sibling when both of your parents are working and you have to feed your two siblings what does it mean that on the weekends your parents are also not home what does it mean when You are a parent and you have to wake up at 4 a.m. to go to a factory. What does it mean to be pregnant and working in a factory setting? What does it mean to be hungry? What does it mean to not have clean water? Um, And it's not just the physical problems, right? There are also mental, social, financial, and emotional traumas that happen from physical issues, dilemmas. So, it's very important that again, if we have the capability to offer to continue really past the starting point to continue past basic needs, especially if, you know, you're able to volunteer several hours a week that we think beyond that, right? To me, it's significantly better to help a few people holistically than help thousands of people with basic needs, (laughs) right? Um, Because through holistic care, you build community. Through holistic care, you offer an opportunity for us to revive ourselves from generational trauma and to strive towards generational healing. So I hope that We've kind of gotten to um, a chance to really examine the work we do. Um, holistic care is very important for us at Il Mahabba. It's something that we continually come back to when we're developing programming. Um, it's something that I always have a you know, conversation with our tutors about because it's extremely important that we never assume that we are offering charity to anyone. That anyone needs us. That we are actually very inconsequential. (laughs) And I know that often practicing this offering of inclusion, analyzing realities beyond what we see, beyond the surface level, is exhausting. I know that a lot of servants and a lot of volunteers who, you know, really ascribe to holistic care get a lot of burnout. (laughs) Um, because it is difficult. It is difficult because then you're like, this person needs this, 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 this. What can I offer? Can someone offer something else? Can I get this person a counselor? Can we, you know, it, it becomes very overwhelming, um, very quickly. Um, but I think really, like, I hope none of you (laughs) get burnout. Um, it's something that I go through a lot, and honestly, I don't have solutions, minus time um, and rest. But the important emphasis here um, is that we see individuals and their realities and circumstances as beyond a surface level. And that we don't just treat the surface level issue, because then this is not care. So this has been Lydia Yusuf with the In Mahabha podcast. I will see y'all in two weeks. If you'd like to support us, you can go to our website, inmahabhacenter.com and click donate. Bye!